understand why we are doing the things we do, who are we, and what we're doing here. And so the first message next week is going to be about discipleship. What does it mean to be a disciple? I'm going to answer that question because when Jesus calls us to be disciples and to make disciples of all nations, what did he really mean by that? So that's what I'm going to do, be talking about next week. And then I'm going to continue the series. It's going to probably be five or six messages. And then I'm going to do a series on the Holy Spirit. We need to understand who this person is. And once we understand who this person of the Holy Spirit is, then we will have a good foundation of understanding what we believe, why we believe the things we believe, and who the Holy Spirit is. And somewhere in June, as I mentioned before, we're going to ordain Pastor Jane, and then Pastor Jane is going to preach once per month for the rest of the life of Go Church. Then... Once per month as well, we're going to have somebody who God is raising up in our congregation. Not right now, but after I've completed these two series, we're going to have someone that God is raising up from in our midst to share the word of God. So I'm going to preach twice per month or three times when we have five, five weeks. Pastor Jane is going to preach once per month. And then we are going to find somebody who God is raising up in the congregation and we're going to set you loose to do what God wants you to do. Now, the whole reason behind doing this is that my eyes are out to see who God has his hand on. And if God has his hand on you, we want to set you in God's flow and send you out. That's why we are called Go Church, because we are going to go. So next time you see somebody, ask them, are you going to go to go? <laughs> are you going to go to go? Then when I wake up in the morning and I, I ask them, I said, are you going? And so you have lots of phrases you can use when it comes to go. But the most important thing is that we are a going church. This morning I want to start by looking at the power of the cross. And when we talk about the power of the cross, we see the cross everywhere. We see the cross on mantles. We see the cross on people's chest. We see the cross, that is Barry Bonds, you can't see it right now, but Bonds has a, a cross in his ear right here. Some people wear the cross around their necks. Everywhere we go, we see the cross. And after seeing the cross so often, we begin to wonder, are we becoming too familiar with the cross? And as we ask that question, are we becoming too familiar with the cross, I want to do something this morning. I want us to look at the cross in a different way. I want to introduce you to a word, if you have never met this word before, it's called defamiliarization defamiliarization it's a real word it is the process of making familiar things unfamiliar 
And so we're going to be defamiliarizing the cross this morning. Why? Because sometimes when we see the cross so much, we, we forget about it. I have two pictures here. And that's a picture of McDonald's. And you're passing McDonald's. And you don't even see McDonald's because you pass McDonald's every day. But if you went to another country, a foreign country, and you suddenly are driving on the road and you see a McDonald's, guess what? You suddenly see, hey, there's a McDonald's. Let's go, on, let's go to McDonald's and eat some burgers. No, you haven't ate a burger in the last two years because you're a vegan. But all of a sudden, you're in a foreign country and you have this great big appetite to have a McDonald's hamburger. That's why, what happens when we get familiar with things. The things we see every day, we just simply pass them by. But then when we see something unfamiliar in our surroundings, we immediately target those things. And that's what we're going to do with the cross this morning. We're going to look at the cross in a fresh way. So before I go any further into the message, I want to say a word of prayer because I believe that God has an important message to share with us this morning about the power of the cross. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you, Lord, for keeping us. I thank you, Lord, for this day that we celebrate the resurrection. But before we complete our celebration of the resurrection, Lord, we want to understand what the cross meant to you. So this morning, Lord, we simply come before you and we ask you, Lord, make the cross fresh to us today. Speak to us, Lord, from your heart that we will forever understand the power of the cross. And we pray these things in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. I'm going to show you before I go any further a clip from a movie. The movie is called The Green Mile. And the Green Mile is a movie that was produced about this man called John Coffey. And John Coffey, his name JC, actually represents Jesus Christ in, in some ways in the movie. The, the, the parallels aren't as close as the real Jesus. But John Coffey was a man that was found to be with miraculous powers. And he was innocent of a crime. And while he was in jail, all the people in jail recognized that this man was an innocent man. And not only was he an innocent man, but he was a man with extraordinary abilities. But because he has been accused of this crime that he did not commit, he was sentenced to death. And so we are going to see him walking down the green mile, which is the final mile before his execution. So let's just watch this scene. After his tricks, my <laughs> dream, those two little blonde-headed girls is there. They's laughing, too. I put my arms around them and set them on my knees. And there's no blood coming out of their head, and he's just fine. We all 
dead last. It took us we were.
wanted to share this little clip from this movie this morning because not so much for us to look at just the execution of this man, but I want us to understand the reactions of the people who love this man. And this morning as we talk about the crucifixion of Jesus Christ, I want to have us focus on the reactions of the people who loved Jesus. Because we always think about the cross and we always think about what does it mean for Jesus to die on the cross. But as we look on the reactions, we can see the cross in a new light. And so this morning, I want us to look at how people who have a member of their family killed view the death penalty. And I suspect that if you had a brother or sister who died in the electric chair, who was sentenced to death in an electric chair, you would not wear a symbol of the electric chair around your neck. I suspect that if you have a family member who was killed by a firing squad, you would not wear the sign of a bullet around your neck. Why? Because an execution is a symbol of shame. When we talk about the cross, the wonderful cross, the beautiful cross, we need to remember that the cross for the people who were there was a sign of execution. The cross was a sign of shame. And so I want us to look at it in terms of how people who loved Jesus looked at the cross. But before we go directly into that, let's look at some of the examples of people who have been executed and what they have said based on, on the, what family members of executed people have said based on executions. Here's one person. This is from the No Silence, No Shame project. Family members of the executed of death are death penalties invisible victims? Just a slight adjustment here. Family members of the executed are the death penalties invisible victims. Although the death certificate of an, of an executed individual lists the cause of death as homicide, few individuals are or support organizations recognize family members of the executed as grieving survivors in need of assistance. Few think about the effects of executions on the families left behind. After an execution, surviving family members often feel isolated and keep silent about their experiences because of the shame they feel and the pain they have experienced through the capital punishment process. Now, the purpose of this message this morning is absolutely not to say anything against the death penalty or for death penalty. I simply want you to understand how people who have a member of their family executed feel. 
Here's one other person, Janice Gay, whose grandfather was executed in Folsom Prison. It was my 21st year, 1968, before my senior year at Berkeley, when my mother told me about the grand my grandfather's execution. My older brother was told when he was 18. The story of our grandfather's death sentence was our right of passage into adulthood. I had my first bout with the depression during the middle of my senior year, most just months after my mother had confided in me. So this person is saying, I didn't know about this death penalty. I didn't know that my grandfather was executed. But after I learned about it, for the first time, I was depressed. For some reason, death penalty executions have a serious hold on every member of the family. And so let's now look at the reactions of people who go through this, this feeling of death of a, a member. Some of us here, we have experienced shame. And people who, whose family members have been executed for some reason, they experience extensive shame. I don't know if you have ever felt shame before. Shame because of something that has happened to you. I remember when I was living in South Florida, I was working at the television station as a producer, and I was getting good pay. And for some reason, the television station was before its time. And the television station went out of business. And after a while, we started not having as much money as we needed to have. Finances weren't right where they should be. And so things got difficult. And I, owned, I, I had recently bought a car, a Nissan Sentra, that I used to drive. It was a nice Nissan Sentra, power wind, everything. The whole works with this, this Nissan Sentra. And when the payments got too much, after I lost my job at this television station, I couldn't keep up with the payments for this car. So because of that, the car needed to be repossessed. Talk about shame. The first thing that happened is when the man called me and said, we are coming to pick up your car, I said to him, well, can I park the car somewhere and you go and pick up the car from that place? And he said, yes. He, he, he was kind, nice and gentle. So I drove the car over a parking lot away from my home. And he told me where to put the key. Just leave the car open and put the key under the mat. So I drove it there, put the key under the mat, and he came and picked up the car. Shame. Shame, shame, shame. But that wasn't the end of the story. I had a brother who was very let's say, creative. Now, sometimes when I'm, when I'm preaching, you'll, you'll probably hear somebody 
talking back to me and, and, and helping me with some of my words when I'm thinking because she, she helps to, to think of me. She helps me to, to keep my, my mind straight. If she ever talks back to me, don't worry. I don't mind. She's my wife. That's Dahlia. And I'm going to introduce her in a minute. Don't, don't, hold, your, hold, hold your applause. I, I, I'm going to introduce my wife in a minute because she's a, she has an important part of the story. And so my creative brother gave me a car. Now, this car was the oldest car on the block. It's a car that was so old, and so the only word I can find to describe this car was it was chamberated. Now, here's one thing you're going to have to learn. Us Jamaicans, sometimes we make up words. This car was chamberated. It, was, it, it had a, wood, a, a half wooden panel. It wasn't painted properly. It, it, when you sat in the car, it's as if it just... And, and, and it's going down the road and it's just... And so my brother got this car. But he, he said, I'm going to give you a car that you can drive. And he gave me the car. You know, the car was so bad. It had no keys. Now, in order to start the car... What you my, my brother rigged the car so that you could turn the ignition and the car would start. And so I got the car from my brother. He said, make sure you don't close the door because you'll never get, get in. <laughs> so I got the car from my brother and I took the car home and Dahlia looked at the car and said, I'm not getting in that car. Delia, I'm going to ask Delia to stand. <laughs> this, is, this is Delia, my wife, right in front. <laughs> Delia's main job at Go Church is to keep me straight, keep me from messing up too much. So I need a chair to explain what happened. Because Delia refused to get in the car, but you know when you have a car and you have to go someplace, at some stage or the other, you just have to go in the car. But we were so ashamed of the car. Now, one day, Dele, we, we had to go. And, and so Dele is coming in the car, and she's ashamed. And so she's sitting down in the car. And you know when you, you, you drive and you stop at the stoplight, and people next door, they're, they're checking you out. They're looking to see who is driving the car. I'm, I'm pretending as if I'm not watching Dele, but. She, she, she is, you, you know, the, the, the door beside you, she's hiding behind the door. And then she's beginning to slip down in the chair. Shame. Shame at having such a, 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 a chamber-rated vehicles. Now, now, not only was Daly afraid of, uh, ashamed of, hiding, of driving in the car, I was, I was really embarrassed. And I used to videotape weddings at the time. And when you videotape weddings, you go to all the posh hotels. And some of these hotels that you go to, the only person that keeps the car, the only way to park your car, is to go to the valet. <laughs> and so I drive my car up to the valet driver, and he's asking me, where's the key? And I say, the key is in the ignition. And then when I go to pick up my car, sometimes 
I, I wanted to sneak and just take my car <laughs> and just drive off without the valet might come and, and get it. So what they did was they had a string and they would just put, put my license number on the string. And, and so they would just go to the car and turn the ignition and start it. Shame. Have you ever felt such shame? I remember once a valet driver came and he gave me a handshake and I gave him, the, you, you know, you, you, a Christian handshake. You put a, a, a little dollar in your, your hand and you shake the hand and give him the dollar and he, the, the, the money for the tip and he looked at it and I wondered if he wanted to give it me back when he looked at the car. <laughs> embarrassment and shame. And some of us go through shame and embarrassment when we go through these episodes of finances. Then, some of us go through shame. Some of us go through isolation. Isolation might be from the death of a loved one. Isolation might be from a broken relationship. Isolation can be from anything. There is also sickness, and sometimes people have had sicknesses that, that, that have kept them for many years, and those sicknesses that have kept you for so many years, it's like you're always sick and people are always just looking at you, and so what happens is that you suffer in silence. These are all reactions that people face when a member of their family, a loved one, dies. So we have seen some of the reactions of people who go through this, this time of silent suffering. And some of us here, you're suffering because you may have lost a job. And in losing a job, you don't want people to be in your business too much. It's like you just want to be by yourself, experiencing the pain by yourself. And people will say, I'm praying for you. And you've heard it before. You're going through a sickness. You're going through depression. You're going through a situation where you have to take a pill before you come to church because your mind is so messed up. All of these reactions are people, reactions of people who face the death of a loved one. And so, now that we have looked at reactions of people who go through suffering and isolation, etc., because of the death of a loved one, I want us to now turn our attention, and we're going to go quickly through the reactions of people who loved Jesus. First of all, there was scattering. Matthew chapter 26, verse 31 says, Then Jesus said to them, all of you will be made to stumble because of me this night. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. So after Jesus was taken to be crucified, his disciples went all directions. They, they were scattered. Then there is weeping and mourning. Luke chapter 23 verse 27 and 28 says, And a great multitude of people followed him, and the women who also mourned and lamented him. But Jesus turned to them and said, Daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me, but weep for yourselves and your children. So the women were weeping. They were crying because of what Jesus Christ was going through. Then, apart from weeping, there is also fear. Fear grips us sometimes. In Matthew chapter 26, verse 6 to 9 to 74, we see where Peter denies Jesus Christ three times. 
And when I preach, I always go through a lot of scriptures. There is a word that's called exegete. I'm an exegete where I like to dig into the scriptures and find a lot of meaning from it. So don't try to turn to all of them while I'm going through. Maybe sometimes you just write them down and then you can go and look at them afterwards. But in Matthew chapter 26, Peter is denying Jesus Christ three times. He said, Lord, I will never leave you. I'm always going to be with you. But when it came to the matter, what happened was that Jesus Christ, when he was being taken, found himself alone because all of his people around him were fearful and they were scattering. Then there's uncertainty. Mark chapter 16, verse 3. And they said among themselves, who will roll away the stone from the door of the tomb for us? When I saw this, this verse, it just hit me. This is a verse I could preach a whole sermon on and, and maybe one day I will do it. The women are going to the tomb on Resurrection Sunday, what we celebrate today. And they're saying, who is going to remove that stone for us and let me explain why this question is so important these women were going to serve God but when they were going to serve God and they had their spices and their ointments to anoint the body of Jesus Christ our Lord the only persons they knew would be at that tomb were the soldiers and what was the job of the soldiers to prevent anybody from rolling away that stone so they're going to serve God with all the passion inside their hearts. And they're saying, who will remove this stone? And some of us here, we want to serve God, but we don't know who is going to remove that stone for us. Some of us want to serve God, but we're saying, who is going to finance this dream that I have in my heart? Some of us are, are saying, I want to serve God, but who is going to help me to get this project off the ground? Some of you are writing books. Some of you are creating music. Some of you are going to school. And, and you have so many things that you want. And you're saying, who is going to help me? That was a serious question. And as I look over this congregation this morning... I can see the question. Who is going to help me to do this thing that I want to do for God? And we are going to help you. We are going to, we are going to in Go Church, be, be looking out for you. And when we still see that God has a dream placed in your heart, we are going to come behind you and we are going to champion you to execute that dream that God has placed in your heart. Because somebody needs to move that stone for you. But here's the good news. Here is the part about Easter. That when the women went to the stone, guess what? God had already removed that stone for them. So the women were going with uncertainty. Then even after the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and the women went back to report that Jesus Christ had risen from the dead, guess what they found? Mark chapter 16, verse 8. So they went out quickly and fled from the tomb, and for they trembled and were amazed. And they said nothing to anyone because they were amazed. They were still afraid even after they realized that Jesus Christ had been raised from the dead. Because 
we have this thing in us that causes us fear. So we have looked at the death penalty, and we have seen how people have different reactions to the death penalty. We have also seen how the disciples had reactions to the death of Jesus Christ, how they were afraid, how they were mourning, how they were isolated, how they were uncertain, how they had doubt in their heart, how they had fear in their hearts. And now let's understand that the negative reactions happened because the disciples did not quite understand the power of the cross. And so we are going to look at the power of the cross right now. Matthew chapter 27, verse 51. It says, The veil in the temple was split in two. Then behold, the veil in the temple was split, torn from top to bottom, and the earth quaked, and the rocks were split. So the veil in the temple, as we see in this picture coming up, the veil in the temple was split. And what happened is that forever the cross created a dividing point in history. Because before the cross, there was fear and isolation and shame and doubt and sin and sickness. But after the cross, Jesus Christ forever divided history in two. And so this morning, we celebrate the power of Jesus' resurrection. Here's one thing that many of us miss. When God defeats death, he has already defeated your greatest enemy. So whatever you are facing in your life right now, I want you to understand that God has already defeated your greatest enemy in life. And so he will help you. Here, here's what 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 26 and 25 and 26 says. For he must reign till he has put all enemies under his feet. And the last enemy that will be destroyed is death. So when Jesus Christ died on the cross, that was a picture showing us that one day he is forever going to destroy death. And so much so that when he died on the cross, death was ashamed. Death was isolated. Death was afraid. Death was fearing. Death was uncertain. Because once and for all, Jesus Christ broke the power of death. Let's see what, how, how difficult it was for death that day. In Matthew 27, verse 52 and 53. Many of us, sometimes when we read the Easter story, don't understand how powerful it was. But here, here goes. Matthew 27, 52 and 53. And the graves were open, and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. And coming out of the graves after the resurrection, they went into the city and appeared to many. Death was so shaken up that people... Normal people were getting up out of the tombs and they were walking out and they were saying, what happened to me? Because death was afraid. Death was defeated because Jesus Christ forever broke the power of death. And if he broke the power of your greatest enemy, he will break the power of fear in your life. If he broke the power of your greatest enemy, he will break the power of sickness in your life. 
If you broke the power of death, your greatest enemy, he will break the power of everything that holds you back. Limitations, whatever they are, God has broken the power of it for you. And so you can walk in freedom. But one of the greatest things that death was defeated when Jesus Christ died on the cross, one of the greatest defeat that he caused was the defeat over sin because sin is what keeps us back. Sin is what caused death to come upon us. And so when he defeated death at that resurrection, he defeated the thing that forever will hold you from Jesus Christ, from holding you, from the relationship that you need to have with the Father. And so the disciples did not fully understand the power of the cross, so they were still mourning. But once they understood, then Jesus began, began to now explain things to them. He began to explain, I, I, I needed to die because when I died, I would come back in power that will break every hindrance from you. Galatians chapter 6 verse 14 says, But God forbid that I should boast except in the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ by whom this world has been crucified to me and I the world. We started by talking about the shame that is involved in death. But notice, after Jesus Christ died and was raised from the dead, Notice that forever, the disciples started to move out and they were no longer ashamed. Just as we would, not, we'd, we would probably be ashamed of, of wearing an electric chair around our neck, all of a sudden the disciples decided that it was time for me to now embrace the cross of Jesus Christ. I'm embracing the symbol of shame and suffering. Because there is no reason for us to be ashamed anymore. There is no reason for us to hold back anymore. Let me show you just now the differences between the pre-cross and post-cross. First of all, before the cross, Jesus Christ walked on the water. You guys remember that story when Jesus walked on the water to his disciples? After the cross, Jesus Christ suddenly appeared in a room that was, the door was closed. That was post-cross. Because Jesus vanished and suddenly appeared in the room with people. Similarly, on the road to Emmaus, two disciples were traveling and Jesus started walking with them and started sharing the word of God. And then all of a sudden, he vanished from their side. You know what that means? It means that when you come to the cross, it defeats all human limitations. The next thing is that before the cross, there was lack of understanding. But after the cross, Jesus Christ forever just opened their understanding and all of a sudden they could understand what he was talking about. Before the cross, there was sorrow. There was crying. There was mourning. There was weeping. But after the cross, there was joy in their hearts. Great joy, Luke chapter 24, verse 52 to 53 talks about. Before the cross, there was an old life. 
after the cross. There is newness of life. Romans chapter 6, verses 4 to 5. Before the cross, sin ruled. But after the cross, Jesus Christ forever defeated sin. And sin has no more dominion over us. That's why Galatians chapter 2, verse 20 says, I am crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life which I now live, I live in the, in the flesh. I live by the faith of God who loved me and gave himself for me. We don't have to be afraid. We don't have to be ashamed. We don't have to be uncertain. We don't have to hold on to self-limiting situations because Jesus Christ has forever defeated your last enemy. I'm about to close, but I want to pray for you this morning as we close. I want to pray for anyone who, for whatever reason, is going through a time of shame. I don't know what your shame is. I don't know why you might feel embarrassed, a divorce, a loss of job, a broken relationship, demotion, just coming back from prison. I don't know what it is, but if you have shame in your life, I want to pray for you. I want to pray for those who are isolated. If you're isolated because you feel nobody understands you, you have just had a broken relationship. You have suffered through the death of a loved one. I want to pray for you. If you have fear, I want to pray for you this morning. Fear of the future, fear of the present, fear of something. I want to pray for you. Those who have sadness, deep sadness in your heart, I want to pray for you this morning. And if you have limitations, either limitations that you have placed on yourself or your, you have limitations that the devil has placed on you. I want to break the power of that over your life this morning. So if you're in any of those situations, I'm going to ask that in a few moments for you to stand. But before I even ask you to stand, there might be somebody here this morning who have never met Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. And we want to give you an opportunity to meet Jesus Christ today. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your own Savior, the person who died for your sin, and you have accepted what he has done for you, I'm going to ask you just to raise your hand right now. We want to lead you to the knowledge of having Jesus Christ in your heart. If you're like that, just raise your hand right now. There's no reason to be ashamed. There's no reason to doubt. There's no reason to fear. Because Jesus Christ has defeated shame and doubt and fear. So with everybody still looking around, don't be afraid. Raise your hand right now. We want to give you an opportunity to know Jesus Christ as your Savior. Please stand with me as we close. At the end of the service today, we're going to have a time of prayer at the altar. And we're going to ask that you 
to move the conversations into the cafe, into the global cafe area. And as you move the talking into the global cafe area, we'll have a little time of praying with some of our team members right here at the altar. But I want to give you all this opportunity now. If you're facing any of the things that I mentioned right now, just come forward and let's pray for you. Shame, isolation, fear, uncertainty, sadness, living with limitations that were imposed by yourself or by the devil. We want to pray for you right now. Just come forward. Heavenly Father, even as others are coming, Lord, we want to pray right now. Lord, I want to pray for each of my brothers and sisters here this morning. I thank you, Lord, that Jesus has forever defeated death. I thank you that forever Jesus has defeated the power of sin and sickness. I thank you that forever Jesus has defeated shame and isolation, loneliness, fear, uncertainty, sadness. I thank you that Jesus has defeated limitations, Lord. And so I pray for my brothers and sisters this morning. I ask you, Lord, to touch them. Fill them with your spirit, Lord. I ask you, Lord, that you would cause that their life to be a life of joy, a life of peace. I ask you, Lord, that you just let your, your spirit just come upon them now, Lord. Father, touch them. Father, I just pray that you touch my brother and my sister. Lord, I lay hands on them right now and I ask you, Lord, fill them with your glory, Lord. Fill them with your power, Lord. Fill them, Lord. Come, Jesus. And let your anointing flow in their lives, Lord. Father, you have defeated it all. You have defeated death. You have defeated the power of the grave. You have defeated every hindrance, Lord. And so, Jesus, as we lay hands on them, May your glory come, Lord. May your glory come, Lord. May your glory come and fill us, Lord. No more limitations. No more fear. I thank you, Lord, that your power is for each and every one of them right now. So let this resurrection day fill their lives, Lord Jesus. That they will forever be changed by your power. Because when you defeated death, Lord, you defeated our greatest enemy. And so I pray, Lord, for my brothers and sisters here this morning. I pray, Lord, that you'd fill them. May your glory come, Lord. 
may you understand may we understand Lord Jesus what you're you're doing in our lives Lord so come Lord Jesus even now my brothers and sisters the Lord bless you and keep you the Lord cause his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you the Lord lift up the light of his countenance upon you and give you his shalom shalom now go into all the world and preach the gospel in Jesus name amen and amen Thank you all for joining us. Please join us in the cafe area upstairs. We'll have some snacks for you. Please don't leave before we're able to say hello. If you need prayer, I'm going to ask some of our prayer team to come to the front and they'll be praying for you. And we'll just try to keep most of our talking and conversations upstairs. But thank you so much for coming. We love you. Walk good.